All right. Well, those songs that we sang together and then we had sung for us really said a lot of great, powerful, and important things to us about Christ and about the Gospel and what is really the meaning of some of the events that even 2,000 years later are still celebrated in our culture today and certainly in our churches. What I want to do with the time that I have now is just share with you a little bit from this book. And most of you that go to church here or maybe go to church somewhere else, I hope that you're familiar with this book. It's actually a pretty nice cover that somebody gave to me. But the book is my Bible. And the Bible is a record of so much. It's a record of the things that God has done from the beginning of time. It is a record of... There's history of civilizations. There's so much that's valuable to learn from it. But the most important thing that the avid and interested and serious reader of the Bible, which I submit to you every person in the world should be, the most important thing you come out of this with is the message of Christ. Because the message of Christ is the message of eternal salvation for people. The only hope of eternal life. The only hope for the forgiveness of sins. Sin being something that is a scourge to us all. This book This wonderful book from beginning to end points to what God did to save you from the penalty of your sins. God is righteous. God is holy. Because God is righteous and holy, He must deal with sin by punishing it in the strongest of ways, with death. Because He's holy. That's why there is so much trouble in the world even today. Why is there so much sickness and death and war and disease and and, and just bad things? It's all the effect of sin that people have turned away from God. But God, because He loves us, has not left us without remedy. He has not left us without hope. That's what this wonderful book is about. It's about pointing you and I, the person who is humble of heart, serious-minded, yearning for the truth, and desirous of eternal salvation. It's to point them to Jesus, God's way to save you. Today is what in so many churches around the world is marked as Palm Sunday. It falls when it does because it's seven days before what is commonly called Easter. Easter, of course, is that day, the name anyway, for that day when the uh, disciples went to the tomb of Jesus who had been crucified uh, on the previous Friday. Uh, And they went and they found the stone of the tomb had been rolled away and it was empty because Jesus had risen from the dead. Just one week before Jesus rose from the dead and only a few days before He was betrayed and then crucified, Jesus did this amazing thing 
he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And that riding into Jerusalem on a donkey was something I want you to understand. It was, exceed, it was extremely important. It's extremely important, not just that Jesus came to Jerusalem, but that he came to Jerusalem that way. And what I want to do is I want to just read you several passages from this wonderful book that show you why this is so important in history. And listen to me, listen, listen, why it's so important for you. To get to the story of Palm Sunday and really understand it in all of its significance, you have to back up a little bit to something very important that happened very shortly before Palm Sunday. And that story is found in the Gospel of John in chapter 11, and I'm going to read just a part of it for you. Basically what happens is Jesus learns that a very good friend of his named Lazarus, who lives in a town called Bethany, which is only a couple of miles outside of Jerusalem, he learns that Lazarus is sick. And in fact, he learns that Lazarus has died. And, La- and Jesus travels then to Bethany after Lazarus has died. And Lazarus was a very good friend of Jesus in his life. And Lazarus had two sisters named Martha and Mary. And the story picks up where I'm reading when Jesus arrives and Martha, one of deceased Lazarus's sisters, realizes that Jesus has arrived. Listen to this. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary, the other sister, was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, listen carefully, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said back to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Listen, he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She answered him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha had met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw Mary rise up quickly and go out, they followed her, saying, she's going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, same thing that her sister said verbatim, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But, but Mary didn't add the other thing that, Jesus, uh, that, that Martha had said. Martha had said, but I know whatever you ask of God, God will do it. Mary didn't add that part. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping 
And the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Big stone in front of the opening to the cave. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. It's a prayer that he made to his father. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Now, obviously a great miracle had occurred. Jesus showed his power over death by raising Lazarus from the dead. Many people believed in him. Many times throughout that story I just read, you heard, believe in me, believe in me, believe in me. Jesus is saying, trust in me, put your faith in me. Now, Ready? Fast forward to what we call Palm Sunday. Now I'm in the next chapter. I'm in John chapter 12. And in verse 12, starting there, it says this. A great multitude says the next day. It wasn't the next day from the Lazarus story. There was some stuff that happened in between. But a great multitude that came to the feast, the feast being the Passover. It was about this time of year. And many people came to Jerusalem for the Passover. It was one of their three biggest holidays in the Jewish religion and the Jewish culture. And three times a year in these major holidays, Jews from all over the place made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And this, this Passover in that respect was no different, though this Passover was going to be very different from every Passover before it. When they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took palm branches, branches of palm trees, and went out to meet them, and they cried out with their palm branches, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel! Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. 
His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, in other words, fast forwarding for a moment to when Jesus rose from the dead, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him, listen to this, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb, which we just read, and raised him from the dead, bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. So the reason I backed up to the Lazarus story is because the the fame of Christ that spread after he raised Lazarus from the dead just caused all those people to go all over Jerusalem and talk about this great miracle that Jesus did. And then when they heard that Jesus was coming for the Passover, boy, what Jesus did is so powerful. Jesus finds a donkey and gets on the donkey and rides into Jerusalem on the donkey instead of just walking in. I'll explain that in just a moment. But because all these people had seen the miracle where Lazarus was raised from the dead, they started talking. It says they bore witness. I believe he raised Lazarus from the dead. He's coming. He raised Lazarus from the dead just over in Bethany. And now he's coming. He's coming. And so this made the crowd just swell. And it was this massive crowd. And they were waving palm branches. Another, on one of the other accounts, this is one of the few events in Christ's life that actually all four Gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all record this. That, that it says they even laid their clothes out on the road. They put their robe, they put their clothes on the donkey, they laid their clothes out on the road. They were waving these palm branches and they were shouting, Hosanna! 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 Which means save us now! Save us now! Save us now, God! Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! the King of Israel. What a scene. What a scene this must have been. Now listen. In this passage it says, there's two things from the Old Testament. There are two famous, extremely important connections to things that were written hundreds and hundreds of years earlier that happened when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey. One was this. It says that Jesus, when he found the donkey, sat on it. And it says, as it is written, it was a fulfillment of prophecy. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. That is a quotation from a prophet named Zechariah. It's Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. And the thing about that that's important is every Jewish person understood Zechariah 9.9 to be talking about the Messiah. So listen, listen to this carefully. When Jesus found the young donkey, that is to say, Jesus actually gave his disciples instructions on how to go and find the donkey. That is, Jesus on purpose made sure he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Jesus was, by riding into the city on that donkey, declaring to anybody who understood God's word, what? I am the Messiah. So Jesus was being very, very clear about that. And the people were excited. The people, the people would have understood that instantly. These people that were in Jerusalem were fairly faithful ones who understood. They went to their synagogues. They learned the Bible. They learned the word. 
They knew that riding in on a donkey was an assertion, I am the Messiah. And it's not that Jesus all the time walked around saying, hey everybody, I'm the Messiah, nice to meet you. He didn't do that very often. But here, Jesus is making sure they understand, I am the Messiah. The second thing, though, that I want to point out for you is this, is this, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, we sang some songs tonight. After I'm done talking here, we're going to sing another song out of your hymnals there. The Jewish people had their own hymnal. And their own hymnal is in the Bible. It's called the Book of Psalms. And there's a section of the Book of Psalms from Psalm 114 to Psalm 118 that are called uh, the Exodus praises or the Egypt hallels. All right? Uh, the, the, the praises of the Lord that hearken back to the story of Moses and the Exodus. This statement, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, was part of Psalm 118. And these particular Psalms, 114 through 118, what's significant is on those three holidays when the Jews went to Jerusalem, whether it was the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of the Harvest, Pentecost, or it was Passover, they sang these songs. These were holiday songs. We have our Christmas carols, right? Psalm 118 was one of their traveling holiday songs. And uh, especially on the Passover, because the, the songs that hearken back to the Exodus, that's where the Passover came from, was from the Exodus. So it was, it was incredibly, amazingly, directly prophetic, a fulfillment of prophecy that Jesus not only rode in on a donkey, but these people were actually shouting a phrase from Psalm 118. But I want to read to you that phrase out of Psalm 118 because there's a part of it that is very revealing and very telling that the people apparently weren't saying and it was not quoted by the Gospel of John. Now listen to this. In Psalm 118, and any one of you can pick up a Bible anytime you want and look these things up and read it. But in Psalm 118, uh, starting in verse 22, well actually, the phrase, Hosanna, Save us now. It's actually not translated Hosanna in the Psalms. It's literally translated save us now. In Psalm 118, verse 25, it says, Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. And this is the part of the Psalm that they're crying out and shouting out. But here's what I find interesting. If you back up in the psalm just a couple of verses before that, it says this. Listen. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It was marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, O Lord. Hosanna, O Lord. O oh Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were crying out the part of the psalm that they were rejoicing in the, in the coming of the Messiah. But what they were leaving out was the immediately preceding part of the psalm that spoke of the Messiah as being like 
the building block, the initial building block, the foundation stone of a building that the builders looked at and rejected. It was actually a reference to the fact that the Messiah, when he came, would actually be what? Rejected by his people. And here's the amazing thing. Going back to the Gospel of John and just uh, flipping ahead to a few chapters here, that crowd that was shouting, Hosanna, save us now! Hosanna, save us now! Probably a lot of people in that crowd who were there for that holiday overlapped the very same crowd that said this. After Jesus, after Jesus was betrayed and He was handed over to the Jews and then to the Romans, He stood before some trials. He was tried before the chief priest. He was tried before Pontius Pilate. And at one point, Pontius Pilate went as far as scourging him. His soldiers put a crown of thorns and a robe on him and mocked him. And it says, Pilate went out to the people. He went out to them again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man! Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, Not Hosanna, Hosanna. Not save now, save now. They cried out, Crucify. Crucify. Crucify him. What made them change their tune so fast? Less than a week after crying out with their palm branches, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna! They were crying out, Crucify! Crucify! What changed? Here's what's important. Here's what you must know. Listen very carefully. When Jesus came, Listen, this was the mission that he actually came to accomplish. Jesus didn't come just to throw the Romans out of Judea. Jesus didn't come just to give people a really nice life. Jesus didn't just come to establish a kingdom so that people could feel good about themselves or anything like that. Jesus came because God has mercy on sinful people. God created the heavens and the earth. And God made each one of you. And He made me. And God is perfect in His righteousness and His holiness. God established by a code His righteousness to men. And He gave them commands and told them, if you obey, you'll live. If you disobey, I will turn and I will fight against you. And he gave the Israelite people a law that had over 600 different commandments in it. And I'd like to read all 600 of those to you right now. No. Fortunately for you, the initial installment of them had only 10. You shall have no other gods before me. You make no graven image, no statues or idols to bow down and worship. 
you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy because God created the heavens and the earth in six days and rested on the seventh. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness or lie. And you shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. Let me stop and think in your presence for a moment. When I think about just those Ten Commandments and compare the 53 years of my life that God has given me with that list of Ten Commandments, I see a list, a long, immeasurable track record of failure. Who can say they've never lied? Who can say they've never coveted something that belonged to their neighbor? Who can say... Either they've never committed adultery or as Jesus said, even if you lust after someone else in your heart, you've committed adultery in your heart. Who can say that they've not murdered? Well, I've never killed anybody, but the Bible says if you hate your brother, you're guilty of murder in the heart. Who can say they've never dishonored their parents? Who can say they've never taken the Lord's name in vain? Who can say that they can count all the times they've broken God's law? We're sinful. And what we deserve from God is to be destroyed. Because God said, obey and live. Now, God, I want you to know, loves you. Even though every one of us is guilty of breaking His laws. God loves you and this is what He did. This is what this book is about. God sent Jesus, His Son. Jesus lived an amazing life. The most amazing thing about it, He never sinned. The only one who ever lived who never did. He performed miracles like raising Lazarus from the dead. Then one day, He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, asserting, as the prophet Zechariah said, basically, Here I come, your Messiah. They shouted, save us now. Save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then a few days later, they turned and yelled, crucify, crucify. But God's plan, listen, was for Jesus to be crucified and die. God loves you so much that even though you and I have broken, listen, 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 here's the crux of it. Even though you and I have broken every one of God's laws more times than we could ever possibly remember, when Jesus came, when Jesus was crucified, here it is, Jesus was receiving in Himself in those beatings and in being nailed to the cross and in bleeding and in suffering and dying, Jesus was receiving God's just punishment against your sin and my sin. God offered a sacrifice in your place. That's how much He loves you. That's how much He loves you. And the sacrifice that He offered was not some randomly selected dude. The sacrifice that He offered was His only Son. 
when Jesus died, Hosanna, Hosanna, you betcha. When Jesus died, he was saving us from our sins. He took the punishment for our sins and he died. And then on the third day, on what today is commonly called Easter, they went to the grave, a grave that was very much like Lazarus's grave, a cave with a big hole and a stone in the front. There wasn't anyone there to say, Jesus, come forth. When they got there on the third day, the stone was already rolled away. and Jesus was already gone because Jesus had risen from the dead. There's no cave, there's no stone, nothing that can hold him. Stone wasn't rolled away to let him out. I don't believe the stone was rolled away to let them in so they could see that Jesus had risen from the dead. Here it is, guys. God loves you so much that when... Here's this book. God loves you so much that He sent His Son to die for your sins, to make the sacrifice for your sins. They buried Him in a grave. On the third day, He rose from the dead. And he is right now in this moment, as as tangible as this is or anything you can touch, he is in heaven at the right hand of the Father and the Bible says that he will come back one day. The question for you is the same question that Jesus asked Martha. Do you believe this? The way to salvation is not through religion. It's not through trying to be good. It's not by saying, okay, I understand His commandments. I'll try to do better, I swear. It's not through sacraments. It's not through statues. It's not through so many prayers. It's not through giving your money to a preacher. It's not through going to church. Salvation only comes by trusting Jesus. Humble yourself. Repent. Acknowledge that you've sinned. Turn to Jesus in faith. Turn to Jesus and cry out to Him, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus, I know You're the only way. Lord Jesus, I know that You gave Your life for my sins and rose from the dead. Lord, Hosanna, Hosanna, save me now. Save me now. Do you believe this? Cry out to the Lord. If you do believe this, and you've never cried out to Jesus for salvation before, do it now. Do it now. Cry out to Jesus. Believe the gospel. Believe this good news with all of your heart and cry out to Jesus. He will come to you. He says, He says, we will come and make our home in you. Speaking of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God will come into you. He will wipe away all of your sins as if they never even happened. He will adopt you as His child and He will carry you and lead you by His Spirit and by the Word through your life until one day when either you die or He comes back, whichever comes first, you will be with Him alive forevermore. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. I believe, though I could say more, I believe that preachers, this is as far as preachers can take you. Because salvation is not about you agreeing with a preacher. 
God sends preachers, and that's how his gospel is preached. But people aren't saved by agreeing with a preacher or agreeing with a church. I have taken you by sharing from this book to the point where now you must respond not to me, to him. In your heart, there's no religious ceremony. There's no sacraments. There's no requirements of any works. In your heart, turn to Jesus and cry out to Him. Ask Him to be your Lord and Savior. Ask Him to save you from your sins. Then you should, from that point, begin to read the Word and go to church and get baptized and and all these things. But none of that saves you. What saves you is receiving Jesus by trusting Him with all of your heart. Put your faith in Jesus now. Now. And receive His salvation. Maybe you want to ask some more questions about it. Maybe you want a little more guidance about it. I'm not going anywhere, man. I live in the house next door. I'm not going anywhere. You come here, ask. I'll talk to you all you need to to hear. Okay? But, But I've given you really what you need to know here tonight. If you want to know more, come on, I'll tell you. But turn to Jesus. Cry out to Him and receive Him with all of your heart. Jed and Amy are going to come back up here and they're going to lead us in another song, one of the songs that's in those teal-covered books in your pews there. But think about these things even as we sing. And after they lead us in this song, I'll just stand up and say one more brief word to you and then we'll go have dessert, okay?